0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, But and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the... Uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now, there's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with... Brother Colton, uh, for a few moments this afternoon, we're talking about math. Uh, That's a a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Ahmad? That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math... My brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works, and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, And I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, He proves every day His love for you. His mercies you every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up. Teenagers, did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead A reminder of his love for us we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight But I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2 I want to take a few moments uh, Just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word uh, Just to relish in what God's done uh, Just to praise him, just to worship him tonight Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love, forwith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise.
1: Lord, we get a few
0: glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And w- would it take more money, would it take better health, would it take greater happiness in your life, more comfort, a better job, a bigger house, a new car, what would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was, I think that's right, maybe ninety four. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. (laughs) But my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake, it was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think, Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think, chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, You know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake (laughs) and as a birthday gift and that day. As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does. Everything God does, He does for a specific purpose. He he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always... If we look in the the account of creation in Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He he loves us. He, He does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes of you know, God searched through heaven looking for God didn't search through heaven. I I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back on oh, no, man, what am I gonna do now? Man sin, where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for Because he loves man God never throws anybody away For a little over a year now God's put a burden on my heart I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon But God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably. But God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away. We live in a culture today, Christian culture, where we give the gospel out. And we try to reach people. In so many churches, if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be, if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel, and he watched as the potter broke the vessel, but he didn't throw the clay away, he simply started again. Christian we need to understand the love of God that God doesn't throw you away he doesn't throw me away he desires to use us and to mold us and to make us now does that mean that we're I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do there are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks In the potter's house, we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily. We look at it as, wow, something good happened today. God loves me. Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maud fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, beautiful. I'm beautiful. Exactly. Now I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, He still loves me. When I... When I disobey Him, He still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but He answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight and I I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening but I want to share four thoughts four proofs of God's love and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love for he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one. He quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago. Is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you're a born-again child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but He quickens you. When I was in grade seven, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway Through the living room into the kitchen and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. (sighs) How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball? kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully. Colton, you having you haven't trouble yet? I know it's he's a he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still. Uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. <laughs> she might have even said a, a real foul word like "shut up." I don't know what she said, but she's. What's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof and he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder, he jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit, and they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down. The nurses holding me down. And that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Armada. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because He quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter A there, He quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of His mercy and His love towards us in verse 4. We were dead in sins in verse 5. We were hell bound. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you... And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, a commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, So does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all. And enlarges his soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said. Our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John three sixteen For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people, in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed, he, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mc, Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer who so I was thinking of, who, Killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I I'm, I want to make available to him salvation, I had you trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we call, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And He doesn't love you because He wants to get something from you, He doesn't love you because He's he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And His love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick, and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? (laughs) I was a boy. I I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. I think sauerkraut's awesome, Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us. With an everlasting love, First John four: Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God dwelleth. God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. God's proven his love through his Son Jesus Christ. Number two, the number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin. All of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. Mm-hmm. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it. All of sin, it was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on. When he came off of that cross, was buried with him. Was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom, that I preached back in '90. It was '98. My wife and I had been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket to be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb, your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary, he took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus taking my sin to the tomb? <laughs> because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He he rose again, meeting that sin was put ever behind Him. In the book of Psalm, chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, Amen. nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, and hath raised us up together. And made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you, those that know the English language better than I do, will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So, preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights. After they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground. When he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his his love. He, He quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with Him. I was buried with Him. I was risen with Him. He brought within the redemption of our new creation. I'm not just safe from hell. And I praise God I'm safe from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother well, mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, I, I Here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I am saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done. As we see his love, I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very, very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you would almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was. Maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in, and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this, and uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. Carrie was punching me. but Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world. You know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple of weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in Him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, Join heirs with Christ. Eternity's my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in Him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. And His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number three tonight, we see here that He shows Grace. He shows kindness. Now, if I let Brother Eric be God tonight, his wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just. Eric's a mild-mannered and genteel <laughs> gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point. Like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Chicken. Popeye's chicken. That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase, I've stood all I could stand and I can't stands no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, There would come a point, the point would have come a long time ago, where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are but because of who He is. How wonderful here He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of His grace in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see His love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with Him and through all eternity, grace, kindness. God shows His love every day. Every day. It is of His mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening, Mr. Edwards who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he he wrote down his messages He was very poor of scene. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It said in a monotone voice, Brother Armand, It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell at any moment could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you that's where I was? but that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety, speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I've I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you. There's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a a dummy. But I I just knew I'm supposed to be here The Lord knows If he wants me here Then I'm supposed to be here I remember going in a building And as I went to go in the building The police In the police station At the bottom of the building Looked at me and said Don't go in here If you go in that elevator And you do not come back Chicago police They told me We will not come look for you We don't care what happens to you After you go in that door We're not coming up there Just so you know you're on your own. So, no, "I'm good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So a pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory. God's blessing. We see His kindness. We see His grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here, he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation... I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory, with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four. Lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 For we are His workmanship Created in Christ Jesus unto Good works Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Them Number four tonight as we see the next proof Of God's love for us He created you not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows and I, several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad and I didn't use fiberglass, I used God's fiberglass. Some of you know what God's fiberglass is, bamboo. And I I did a tri-lam bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you, was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form, and uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded, and I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think on the top, bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we're all soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something, I called my dad Paul. As I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars. Uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up and general area probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live and he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside, and just a little bit of everything. You go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you'd go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway, they... There in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel actually come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there. And there was an old knife, an old hunting knife. And this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store and this little town near where he knew that I was from that area and he thought I want to do something nice to pay him back he paid a few bucks maybe 20 30 maybe 50 bucks I don't remember he bought this old knife it was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart the knife was pitted and old and he sent it to me as a gift and I I was overwhelmed that's really neat that's really awesome really cool old knife and thanks to the wonders of the internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that, and I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value as far as the world's concerned for that knife is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me, his signature. He made me, he made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2, unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of Him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, This is a faithful say. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created. Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So listen to this statement. They await your doing. God God created you to walk in those works. Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way... When I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly, God spared them. They didn't. Several times, they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this. Preaching the word of God. Praise the
2: Lord.
0: As an evangelist in the southern U.S. Amen. Every time he opens the Bible. And lays on the pulpit as a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I I was never a drunkard. I I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving Him praise for what He's done for us. For dying on the cross, forgiving our sin, placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for His purpose the growth process 2 Peter Peter chapter 1 verse 5 I'm not going to turn there tonight but virtue on knowledge on temperance, on patience on godliness, on brotherly kindness on love, we need to surrender to that process number 3, how do we walk in good works I'm going to close with this thought tonight by serving by serving in all areas of good works what is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do? Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your or your child to do or or the Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, and I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. he will pull out a notebook and I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. Right. He, he's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls... Just like little Samuel, days gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Mark? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And Lord, a lot of them don't get done because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love that you've proven over and over and over again in Scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose? May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember the Colton. Let's
2: sing together. 301. Only trust in number 301. Come, every soul, I say.
0: you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we Be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful. That purpose. That fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray.
1: Thanks for coming. I love to be with God's people, and boy, tonight is no exception to that. It's wonderful to be here. Choir, thank you for singing, and I appreciate that, and then everybody who participated, uh, great job, Brother Colton, leading the singing and getting us going on that. I love to be in God's house, and I'm very thankful. I had the joy, my dad got saved when he was um, 11 years old. Uh, His mom was an alcoholic, family was dysfunctional, challenges in every way, crystal balls and carrot cards and things of that nature and a Sunday school teacher in a local church was given a room by his pastor and said would you would you teach the junior age boys and he wasn't content to have one or two kids he went out every Saturday and sometimes the nights and tried to find kids to come and be in his class and he, my dad my uncle told me just a little small fellow compared to my uncle he said just a little man John but That guy would get us to go in there, and he would teach us the Bible. And, of course, your dad and I, we just tried to stay away from Mom on the weekends because it was so difficult to be there when Mama was drunk. And so he gave us a chance to be there, taught us the Bible, and gave us a cookie and a a cup of of Kool-Aid, and we went off to big church. One day, he tapped your dad on the shoulder and said, Richard, could you stay after class? He put a folding chair in the corner That's where the teacher sat. He turned another folding chair facing him, and he said, Richard, sit here. And he began to take a Bible and show your daddy how to be saved. He said, that day was the best day of your dad's life. He always, he came into big church about 20 minutes later, said, Douglas, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know for sure I'm saved now. I'm going to heaven. Douglas, you're going to hell. You're not saved yet, you know? And he was... Giving it to him, he said, Richard, we're talking, just us listen in church here, man. You know." And all week, he was so excited. He went home and told Mom he was saved, and Mama was drunk. And she said, no, you can't be saved. The Bible says you have to be 12 to be saved, and you're still 11. And uh, he said, no, Mama, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And that week, that week, all week long, your, your dad was so excited. I told, I told him, I said, listen, tell the teacher to tap me on the shoulder today. I want to sit in that chair. And the next week he said, I got saved. The teacher showed me how to be saved. And, of course, what a blessing to know that a local church did its job. Everybody gets saved. There has to be three factors. There has to be the Word of God because faith cometh by hearing. There has to be the Spirit of God because he has to bring conviction of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He's the one. I can't bring anyone conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But I'm glad he does his job. And then a third factor is a local church has to do its job. A local church needs to protect and to propagate the truth. And, uh, boy, the way you keep the truth and protect the truth is by keep getting it out. <laughs> you ever hear something real funny? You heard a joke and you say, oh, man, when I go home, I'm going to tell my family about this joke. And you get home and you can't remember the joke? <laughs> that ever happened to you or is it just me It happens to you? Oh, it's frustrating. You're like, oh, it was so funny. I laughed. Oh, what was it? You know how you can remember a joke? Tell a joke. <laughs> you tell it, you remember it. You know how you keep the truth? You tell the truth. Amen. You keep getting the gospel out and you'll keep that. So many churches. And the Bible says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. truth. Yeah, there's a lot of churches. They have buildings. They have parking lots. They have cars. They have pastors. Have programs. They just don't have the truth. <laughs> Couldn't find the truth there with a flashlight. <coughs> and you went to ask the pastor how to get to heaven Mary They wouldn't know. He or she wouldn't be able to tell you. Wouldn't be able to tell you how to get to heaven from there. Because they've lost the truth. And boy, I'm so glad for local churches and uh, each of our pastors that are here, you represent uh, a local church in the vision. You're the captain of world evangelism. And I am so glad that you are doing what God's called you to do. There's just two positions open in Christianity. One, is to be the pastor of your church. The other one is to help your pastor, pastor of that church. And that's if your job is to pastor, then do the best job you can. If your job is to is to help your pastor, then decide, you know what, I'm gonna be a dedicated helper. And I'm gonna help my pastor, pastor of the church, God's given to pastor, and do the very best you can do in any arena and play your role. And it's wonderful. Labors together with God. I've been thinking about this theme since uh Pastor Rice sent me an email and told me this is what they're going to be doing, and, and I'm excited about this. He's hoping to baptize son, someone Sunday morning and break right through that, laying them together, just break through that and uh, be excited about that. 149 days without an accident, and the last accident was Brother Rice. He had an accident, and so this is going great right here. And so you guys all be careful going down the steps tonight. We don't want to another... make sure you're here for the safety meeting tomorrow morning at 830, all right? And uh, we'll... I don't know. We might, we might just eat, eat too many donuts and drink too, many co- too much coffee. We might have an accident after that. But uh, it's a joy to be with you. My wife and I are so thrilled to know what God is doing north of our border. But we're grateful for what God is doing south of your border, too. And, and I'm glad that we have a time. And it's a great time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, we can find all kinds of problems. But nothing happened in politics keeps me from telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Nothing happened in the world or attacks are going to keep you from going across the street and talking to someone about Christ or giving out a gospel track, as pastor said just a moment ago. I'm so glad he said that. You know who gives out gospel tracks? People that have them. (laughs) If you don't have them, you're not going to give them out. I, I gave one today to a guy named Jason. I said, Jason, let me tell you, this tells you about Jesus. He said, Pastor, I'm from India and I just got baptized a few weeks ago. He goes. i was hindu but now i'm a christian i just became a christian i said oh that's great we're going to talk more about that in my stay there at the hotel but i'm looking forward to that you know it tracks what they do it tracks determines someone's curiosity you know when you give someone a gospel track and they tear it up and throw it in the ground you can take away that they're not really interested right now right you can say oh, they're not real curious right now that's what happens they determine someone's curiosity. If they hand it back to you or lie to want it or whatever, you just know well, that they're not ready right now. They need a little more sunshine of God's love. They need a little more moisture from God's grace and His heavens to, to, to land on their heart. They're just not interested right now. So when you give a track, you can determine someone's interest. Now, if they take it and start looking at it uh, and start looking at that and say, you know, I've been looking for a church. Okay, now you know there's some interest there. Now you know you can talk, And they open up conversation with people. You can begin to talk with conversation. And then another thing a lot of gospel track I love is they go places that you're not going to go. They'll end up in junk drawers and, and in people's pockets. I have a sweet little lady. She's a, a missionary's wife in Belarus. And her daddy was drunk on the, on, on the platform of a, a train station. And somehow or another, someone gave him a track, and he took it, he put it in his pocket. He stumbled on home, and his wife pulled his clothes off and took his jacket off, and he passed out. And she looked at his jacket, and she found a track. And she had it set up into the wee hours of the morning and began to read that track. And by herself, she accepted the Lord as her Savior. Later that next week, she... Led her daughter through that track, and that little girl, at 13 years old, accepted the Lord, and now she's a pastor's wife in Belarus because of a gospel track. Amen. I remember one day watching a man kind of come into the church a little bit late, and he was over here in my right, and I saw him come in. I was very interested, but I preached the message and shook his hand, and he said, uh, I, "I said, uh, I said, what brings you?" He goes, "Oh, you wouldn't believe it." He goes. Uh, Someone gave me a paper, and, um, and, but it's been a long time, and I said, I said, well, listen, can I talk to you about it? He goes, no, no, can you come to my house? His name was Andy, and then his wife's name was T, and I went to Andy and T's house, and we went and talked to them and went through the gospel track, we got, went through the gospel with them, and they both accepted Jesus Christ. He said, you know what happened? I was, um, he about about a year and a half, two years ago, I was at a funeral of a family member, and a lady walked up to me and she told me a track. And I have twin daughters. He said, you need to get those girls in church. You need to take them. He said, By that time I had a good job. I was doing good. I didn't have an interest in church. He said, I took the track and I don't know how, but this over the last few weeks I've been going through a hard time. He goes, that job I had, I have to get another job and it doesn't pay as well. So I'm going through some problems with my wife and the kids are struggling. I'm just not doing good. And Sunday afternoon, I was cleaning out a junk drawer, and I found that paper. I looked on there and said, you know, I can make it. It's only 4.30 now. I can be at that church the time it starts. I just drove to the church tonight, and that's what God did to bring him to Jesus Christ, a gospel track. You know, you never can know what might happen with that, and I'm glad pastor brought that to our attention this evening. And I love, love being with you, and I'm really glad to share a few moments. I know we didn't get in here to get out, but... I don't want to be a long time. I heard about one guy he said I got so much to say in the message I don't know where to start. A little kid in the back says start somewhere toward the end. <laughs> so uh, we'll try to get started here shortly here in just a second. And uh, but I am so glad to be with you. I, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our story maybe tomorrow. But uh, I had the joy to be raised in a Christian home, and my dad met my beautiful mom Janelle and. They were married, and my dad's lived with Jesus for 28 years, but um, my mother had a great uh, background. Her, her dad was a Christian, her mom was a Christian, and one of his gran- her grandparents were Christians. And, but um, they met each other, and God gave them a love relationship. They had six children. My name is John. I'm their oldest son. They, I have three brothers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we're all pastors of a church. We pastor a church in Indiana and Illinois, Texas, and Tennessee. And then we have two sisters, Acts and Romans. I'm just joking, not really. <laughs> uh, their names are Jan and Mary. But, but uh, my sister is a missionary in a, in a Muslim country of Adjur And my other sister has taught in a Christian school for years. And so thankful for churches like this one. And uh, my dad had happy feet, so he didn't stay in one place very long and moved around a lot. And, um, and, but we always had good men of God. Sometimes the church buildings were a little large like this one was. Sometimes they were smaller. Sometimes the pastor was older. Sometimes he was younger. Sometimes he preached really long. Sometimes he preached really short. I like those short, short uh, messages. They had different, different styles and different backgrounds. Some went to Bible institutes and some got master's degrees from college. One thing I just remember about my pastors, they all loved the Lord. And they did the best they could do, and they preached the Word of God, and they opened up camps and took us to camps and VBSs, and and they fixed the buildings, and they put fuels in vans and buses and picked up people and took us to nursing homes, like Pastor Arbo was telling about just a few moments. What a great testimony that is. And it just did the right things the right way for the right reasons. And boy, I'm so blessed by that. I got to watch that. I never thought I'd ever be a pastor. I was a school teacher for 11 years, and I had managed to preach seven times in my 11 years after I finished Bible college until I, until I became a pastor. And uh, three of those times, I was so nervous I got sick and threw up, and it was miserable. And the other four times, the audience got sick and threw up. You know, and (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't pretty. (laughs) But uh, I was grading my high school English papers and. And on April the 18th in 2000, and a phone rang. I picked it up, and it was a deacon of a church, and they had not had a pastor what would be 13 months without a pastor. And uh, they said, really, everything, everyone who's here is here because they want to be here. Everybody else has kind of left and wonder if you would be willing to come and be our pastor. And I said, well, you know, I'll pray for you, but I don't think I could be your pastor, you know. I could think about a couple people that might help you. And he goes, well, we don't want your recommendations. We want you to consider being our pastor, and that changed my life. And for these last 24 years now, almost, I've had the joy to partner with my wife and God's people and uh, in the work of the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not always the devil. The devil's strategies have not changed. To attack the shepherd so he can scatter the sheep. They're Always banging away. Every pastor has a bullseye on him. Every missionary has a bullseye on him that the devil's trying to get him to sit still for a second so he can let go his arrows of doubt and hurt and difficulties. That's why you want to be a blessing to your pastor and uh, be an encouragement to them. Uh, pastors struggle. It's not easy sometimes. I'm not seeking for any sympathy. I'm just telling you. Uh, they're just You just you got to put your pants on the same way everybody else does. You're just a human being. You have a different position. But uh, pastors, oftentimes, they struggle with inadequacies. They don't feel like they're worthy to do it, and they're not doing a good job. And if they were doing a better job, more things would happen. They get bad thoughts that come to their mind that, and, and there's always bullies and critics, somebody in the congregation and somebody on the Internet, someone who watches the the live stream just wants to give them an email or call them or text them and say, that wasn't right, or you need to study your Bible more or whatever. Just always have an opinion about something. Financial pressures, whatever financial pressures a person would have, they have a, more so in the ministry because God has designed money to be in the middle of things, and it just It's challenging. It's difficult. Uh, People, you know, when they call your pastor, they, you know, no one calls, you know, call nurse, call doctor, call policeman, but they'll say, call pastor. (laughs) You know, someone dies, call pastor. Have a baby, call pastor. You know, want to get married, call pastor. Can't pay your rent, call pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Having financial problems, call pastor. And marriage problems, call pastor. And, you know, that's a wonderful role in the life of believers. At the same time, there's a lot of pressure that goes with that, a lot of challenges. And I uh, I thank God for the men of God that are here. And I thank you for coming. And I'm thankful for this church, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Thank you for hosting the meeting and, and expending already. You've been taking offerings over and over and praying for the meeting and um, I know a little bit about hosting a conference, and it's just not done on spare time and pocket change. And many of you who paid and taken time off work to come and be here and spend a couple days with us, thank you for coming. And uh, your presence and your participation are really big. Uh, We were going to have this meeting whether you came or not. (laughs) But because you came, it's a lot better. And your presence encourages me, it encourages my wife, it encourages Pastor and Mrs. Rice, and actually everybody around you. It's just a blessing that you would take the time and effort and energy to come. We're glad to be with you. Looking forward to sharing time together as we talk about laboring together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Corinthians chapter number 3. 4, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Of course, the theme of the conference is laboring together. And that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Bible tells us, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Uh, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. By the way, God's looking for faithfulness. And He rewards faithfulness. Um, it's, and really, faithfulness is the key to fruitfulness. And we want to be fruitful. But the truth of the matter is, God's looking at faith. He doesn't say, well done, thou good and fruitful servant. Now, He wants us to be fruitful. But uh, we don't know all that's going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, another time, maybe. But uh, one thing the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He tells us that that, um, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. See, what's the Lord going to do when He comes? He's going to pull back the curtain. Of the evil works of darkness, what was really going in the satanic world against what was going, what, what 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 we're trying to accomplish? And then he'll pull back another curtain, and that is the motives of the heart. What was really going on in in here? Not only in your heart, but the heart of your adversaries, the heart of the people. And then shall every man have praise of God. And for friend, that's what we want to do. We want to. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to spend the rest of our eternity with him if we know him. We certainly would like to be faithful to him while we have a chance. And this is the parentheses of time. If you're going to do your giving, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Okay? Uh, Listen, If there's no soul winning in heaven. There's no gospel tracks in heaven. There's no need for it. There's not going to be a missions conference in heaven. There's not going to be a, an offering taken in heaven for a building someplace. No, if you're going to do that, you've got to do that now. If you're going to witness, you might as well witness now. If you're going to give, let's give today. Let's find what we can do today and, because uh, Jesus is going to come. And if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to see him. And he says it's the point of every man once to die, and after that, it's the evaluation. And we'll give an account of the deeds done while in our body, while we're still breathing, what we did with our time and our talents, our our training, our trials, our our tribe, our uh, our teaching. Whatever happened to us, I don't have to give an account for you. You don't have to give an account for me. But to whom much is given, (laughs) much is required. And may the Lord help us to be faithful about that. And he said, but we're laborers together with God. I think sometimes, every once in a while, we get in a little thought that we think, oh, man, I want to do great things for God. I'm not in that group. I want to do great things with Him. (laughs) I'm not interested in trying to impress Him. I can't do that. But I like going where He's going. Years ago, we have nine children. All of them are girls except for seven. And uh, we have all those kids (laughs) But when those kids were little, my wife, we'd get like, every ever years, we'd get some nice carpet, and she'd say, "John, let's take our shoes off at the door, and and put all the shoes there." And boys, so that was what we we would do that, and our kids did the same things. So I'd come in and, and get my uh, my shoes off and put them there. But whenever it was time to get my shoes on, you know, I just I'd start I'd sit down in the chair by the door and start putting my shoes on. Inevitably, one of the little kids would come up to me. And they go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're scurrying around trying to find their shoes. And then they get them together and they go, Daddy, Daddy, I go, I go. I say, where am I going? I don't know. You know, they didn't know where I was going. They just wanted to go where I was going. You know why they want to go where I'm going? Because I have money and they're broke. (laughs) I can drive a car. They can't drive a car. I like to stop at Tim Hortons. (laughs) I like to stop at a, at a convenience store. I like to get a snack every now and then. So they know if they go with Dad, he's got control, he's got money, and he likes snacks. You know, the truth of the matter is, when God puts his shoes on, you need to get your shoes together too. And say, Lord, I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you want me to be done. And that's important. Boy, that's important for all of us. Tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, laboring together through trials. Difficult times or, or just everyone has them. I have them and you have them. Maybe some of you say, Pastor, I, I'm not going to need this message. I'm doing good right now. Well, bless your heart. That's what they say in the South. If, they, if you don't really like someone, you just say, bless your heart. No, no. no, I'm just teasing. But you know the truth of the matter is? Maybe you came here and said, Pastor, I, I'm doing great. I'm happy for you. Keep breathing, because you're going to probably have some difficult times. You know, the Bible's all about people who had some difficult times. I, if you won't study, God tells the good and the bad and the ugly. He tells the good days of David. He tells some bad days of David. He says the good days of, of Saul when he was humble and his side. He talked about well, chasing donkeys. Then he talked about a time where he became presumptuous. He talks about Peter preaching at Pentecost, but he doesn't leave out that Peter cursed and denied the Lord. He tells the good and the bad. He tells about Paul and his missionary journeys, and tells Paul and his big spat with, with uh, Barnabas. He kind of tells the good and the bad. Trials are reality. You can't listen to the Apostle Paul without reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he goes through the litany of different things that he had gone through. Whew. Telling you what, when I look at that life, every once in a while, someone will say, boy, you rode an airplane four hours with you big, tall, lanky guy, and probably had to eat your knees. I always think about that. Uh, it's not so bad compared to the Apostle Paul's shipwrecks. I think I'll just take an airplane ride for three hours. It's not that big of a deal. But boy, he went through some difficult times. And Apostle Paul tells a little bit of a strategy that he goes through when he's laboring together with the Lord through some difficult times. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow with the pastors and the men laboring together through distractions and frustrations and attacks and difficulties. It it comes. What did the Apostle Paul say? Well, if you would please look at 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 4, And let's read this if we can. If you're comfortable, uh, I want to make you uncomfortable, okay? I'm going to ask you to stand one more time if we can, please. You heard what the pastor's job is to do, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) And so let's look at this real quickly if we can. Verse number 8. Verse 7. How about reading verse 7 with me? Everyone ready? Together. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God. Verse 8 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Would you read verse 13, please? We having the same spirit of faith.
0: According as it's written, I believe, therefore have I believe, therefore see.
1: Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. Redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17 and 18, let's read together. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen. Our Father, I thank you for the privilege to be an extension of Pastor Rice uh, at this congregation tonight. And Lord, thank you for everybody who's here and then those who will come tomorrow after their midweek service is over. God, would you please work in our hearts? I know I'm nothing. I know you're everything. I know that you do not need me, but once again, I need you, and I pray you please help me. Thank you for the sweet friends who are here. Help me to say what I need to say fairly rapidly tonight, Lord. It's a long day. Many have driven a long time, but I pray you administer on the inside while I try to share a few thoughts on the outside. We pray this in your precious name, amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is spending the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 talking about the wonderful privilege of getting people the gospel of Christ. All things are that because we have been given the the gospel message in earthen vessels. Uh, We're the vessel and the gospel is in us through the Holy Spirit of God and we're supposed to get it out to other people. But he goes into a little bit of a testimony. He said, look. We are troubled on every side. He said, I just feel like trouble is meeting me on every front. When I go over here, trouble is here. When I back up, trouble says I'm here. When I step forward, trouble. When I move over, there he is again. I'm troubled on every side. Have you ever had a day like that? Where it feels like the trouble just is all around you? Trouble's every place. The bird singing out your windows, a vulture. <laughs> it's not a good day. Difficult things. You, you, you're thinking to yourself, you can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. How much opposition I'm getting, how many difficulties I'm having. Well, Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I have a day like that. Your mama told you you'd have days like that. And this is one of those days. It's difficult. He said, we're troubling every side. But the Bible says but we're not stressed out. We're not distressed. He said, I'm perplexed. He goes, I got more questions than answers. I'm scratching my head so much. I, I don't understand why is this happening. I'm perplexed. But I'm not in despair. He goes on to the next verse, I think verse number nine. Look at it, if you would please. He says, "We're verse nine, persecuted. But I haven't been forsaken. God's still with me. He said, I'm cast down. But I'm not destroyed. You know, whenever you have difficult trials of your life, and everybody has them, teenagers have them, single adults have them, married adults have them, senior saints have them, pastors have them, pastors' pastors' wives have them. Hey, nobody's exempt from problems. But someone said if all of our problems were hung out on a line, at the end of the day, you'd pick your problems and I'd pick mine. But we all have them. If we knew everybody's heartache in this room, if everybody just said, like, if just the people in the choir, and these are precious people, but if each of them just said, you know, one of the worst things ever happened to me, if each of them gave a testimony, we'd probably start crying and disbelief that how could they sing in the choir and have that happen to them if they revealed some of the deepest hurts. But Apostle Paul says, man, we're, we're, we're this, it's not a walk in the park what we're going through. He said, but I've learned a few things that I'm going to share with you. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He gives some strategies of what to do when you don't know what to do. What to, what to, what to do to, to work through the trials of life and labor together with God even though you got some pressure. Even though you've got trouble on every side and lots of more questions and answers and you're going through uh, times of persecution, you, you haven't been forsaken or even fallen down, but you're not destroyed. What do you do in times like that? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul did. Let's just see what he did. Number one, the Bible tells us that he believed God and he told him, I believe you. He believed God and he verbalized his faith in God. Look, if you will, please, he quoted Psalms 116 and verse number 13. Would you look at it? We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I what? We also believe and therefore speak. You know, one of the first things you can do when you have difficult times or trials that come to your life and my, my life one of the things we need to do and make a shortcut to it is to say, God, I trust you. Amen. I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. Right. Uh, James said like this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse diver's temptation. I don't know about you, but trials and different kind of trials and joy don't go in the same sentence with me. When I have a problem, I do not want to work through my problem. I want to transition out of my problem. <laughs> Yesterday. But God wants to oftentimes transform me through my problem and give me trust in him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The first thing that that Paul said, one of the first things he does, number one, he says, you know what? I believe God and I verbalize my faith in him. I've I've spoken. You know, that's, that's what happens when you get saved. I was witnessing to a lady last week, Katie, and I got to share the gospel with Katie. And Katie, at the end, I said, Katie, if Jesus is willing to accept your sin, would you be willing to accept his sacrifice? Because goes, oh, I've been waiting to do that. Okay. I said, okay. Do you believe you're a sinner and you can't save yourself? Oh, yes. Do you believe that sinners deserve hell to be separated from God forever? She said, I know. Do you believe that only Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection Could forgive your sin if you would come and accept him as your Savior. If he will take your sin, will you take his son? Jesus Christ, he says, yes, I am. I said, you know, the the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, Katie, and with uh," the, now, confession is made. That's how I got saved. When I got saved, someone told me, and they said, do you believe that, John? I said, yeah. He said, now would you ask the Lord to save you? For whosoever shall. You know, that's how we got saved. If you're here today, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, please don't pass (laughs) go. Don't collect $200. Don't don't do anything. Don't leave. Don't get in your car without. Say, well, my my mama thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter if your mama thinks you're saved. Well, my pastor thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter that. Either you and God know that. If you don't know for sure you're saved, don't gamble. The greatest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you know. Well, I'm not sure I remember when I got saved. That's because you weren't there, okay? You need to to have a time and a place when you get that settled. When you exchange your sin for God's Son. And when you do that, you believe in your heart and you confess with your... But after we're saved, it doesn't stop with that. After we're saved, the just shall live by faith. And faith needs to be verbalized. When you have a difficult time and trouble backs you into a corner, maybe that's when you need to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. The Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who giveth to all men and upbraideth not, and it shall be, but let him ask in faith. Nothing asking. Faith. You see the verbal and the faith of the heart and the verbally asking God. Listen, when you go through difficult times, that's the time you might want to kneel on your knees and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand. i got more questions than answers. I've got, I've got trouble on every side. I've got persecution. I've got frustrations. I can't. I just feel like I'm going to blow up. That's when we need to say, God, I trust you. Believe and verbalize your faith. That's what Apostle Paul said he did. Number two, he made his focus Jesus. Did you see Jesus pop up on numbers of those pages? Looking unto Jesus. He authored and finished the race. And, and, and make your focus upon the Lord. I am so glad that, that I have Jesus. Amen. I'm glad that Jesus has me. I'm glad that in all, when it's all said and done, it's going to be Jesus and me <laughs> for all eternity. So whatever problem I have today, if it is trouble on every side, I, I have Christ in my heart. Amen. The great song, What? Though wars may come with marching feet and beat of the drum, for I have Christ in my heart. What, though nations, rage as we approach the end of the age, for I have Christ in my heart. God is still on the throne. Almighty God is He. And He cares for His own throughout eternity. So let come what may, whatever it is, I only say that I have Christ in my heart. I have Christ in my heart. But whatever's happened around me, I need to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Looking unto Jesus, the author. For me to live is, to die is gain. I am crucified with, nevertheless I live, yet not I but. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of, that's Christ, who loved me. And gave himself for me. When you have troubles, number one, believe God and verbalize your faith. And some of us, we might need to get quiet tonight and say, God, I trust you. I'm here because of you. I believe in you in my heart. You know I, I, I believe you. But verbalize it. <coughs> say it. I got a problem. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with that. Lord. I need to take that. Let your care and, and turn your care to prayer be careful for but everything by prayer. prayer casting all your upon him because he cares for you trust God and verbalize your faith number 2 focus on the person of Jesus Christ and by the way what can we trust God for we can trust him for his purposes and his power boy listen to brother Arbo's testimony that wasn't a blessing drive up there and get a fancy-pantsy house for 500 bucks a month. Good night in the morning. I feel sorry for the rest of the world after hearing that right now. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? That's how good God can be. You know, he did. He trusted God's purposes, that God brought him to that place and then God's power to help him. You know that he doesn't have a corner on that. He doesn't have a monopoly on the power of God. The provision of God, the same Jesus that he has, you have. And we can trust his purposes and his power. Notice what he says, if you would, please, to verse number uh, 14. Knowing this, that he which raised up Jesus from the dead raised up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. I want you to notice another thing real quickly. Not only believe God and verbalize your faith, tell him you believe him, Focus on the person of Jesus. Realize that it's His purposes and His power that helps us. But notice, don't make your problem about you. You know, the quickest way to waste hardship and trials is to make it about you. Make it about me, how it affects me, my thinking, my feelings, my desires. This is is interesting. In this chapter, you'll see numerous references to we, and us and our and really paul was taking the brunt of a lot of these problems but he, he didn't make it all about him it was about me and us and not me but us and we and our don't make it about you uh, trust and realize you know whatever problem i've been through other people have gone through that similar problem in the wee hours of the morning on april on august the 16th we had found out that our 17-year-old son was involved in a car accident. He was riding with a precious family in our church that loved him as much as we loved him. But uh, they he was a passenger in a seatbelt, and the driver was driving, and the man in the back was sitting there. They were having a good time. They were singing songs. And the lady got mad at her boyfriend. He was parked on the side and slammed the phone down and, Pulled out in front of their car and they saw her and tried to go around her. And as they were going around her, she decided to do a U-turn simultaneously. And they hit the back of the car, went up on the hillside, flipped over. And when it flipped over, it landed on the tires and the driver got out uninjured. The man in the back got out uninjured. But our son, still stuck in a belt with stretch marks on it, something broke his rib. And one rib went into his right lung and the other rib went right into his heart muscle. And a few moments after CPR and an ambulance pulled up and wasn't even attending to that accident, just drove just right behind him and put the, 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 the electric shock on him and did all the CPR and did all he could do to revive him. And then, unfortunately, he began to hemorrhage out of his mouth and his ears and his, and his nose. And they realized he had internal bleeding somewhere. And he went home to be with the Lord. And about three hours later, we got a call from the, the coroner. He said, Mr. Wilkerson, are you the... You the father of Tyler? I said, yes, sir. He said, we're sorry to tell you, after multiple other things, he just said he sustained fatal injuries. Mr. Wilkes. I'm so sorry. Your son died. And boy, I thought I I I was going to die myself. Linda was standing there in the hallway of her home at 2670 Magnolia Avenue, and she looked up into my eyes as I got the phone. She said, he's gone, isn't he, honey? We cried like little babies. But I tell you, one of the things that came to my mind really quickly is that we're not the only one to ever go through this. Even God knows what it's like to lose a son. He can help us. Other people have gone through this with a lot less help than we're going to help. We, we got like 1,100 cards in the first two weeks of, after his death of people just saying, we love you, we're praying for you with unbelievable support. One of the first things that came to my mind is, you know what? Other people have gone through this, and God helped them, and he can help us. And we're going to be in in a, a camaraderie of other people who have lost. No doubt in this room, there are precious people who have received similar news. I think about my friend, Brother Ed Bordell. His son didn't die suddenly. He died with an arduous battle with leukemia. The steroids had made him, he's just a boy, maybe 150 pounds at his heaviest, and now he's over 225, 30 pounds because he's bloated from the steroids, and he begins to bleed out his nose and his eyes and his ears, and he's got so much pain, and his dad's trying to hold him to find him a comfortable place, and, and his arms are about ready to fall off. He can't hardly hold him anymore up, and then he just goes in, into, into, into eternity. Well, I don't know about you. I, I think when I think about that, I thought, oh boy, that was hundreds of thousands of dollars of 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 bills and pressures and difficulties and hospital visits and chemotherapy and all the things and that's how he transitioned his son. But God helped him. And God Make it about you. Make it about His purposes, His power. I want you to notice the next thing real quickly, and we see the reasons. Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Nobody has a breakneck, terrible life from start to finish I know about. Matter of fact, most of our days are good days. Most most nights we don't go to bed hungry, like much of the world does. Most of the time, even in this frigid temperatures that you experience here, and we have a few like that, not near as much as you, bless your heart. (laughs) But, you know, we usually can find a warm place, even when it's 41 below zero. We can find a place where we can get warm for for the time we have to be. God takes care of us, doesn't he? It's sad, but many people make a case about, and they spend their whole life angry and frustrated about a few things done against them at the expense of all the things God's done for them. Well, they have maybe something didn't go right here, there, and everywhere, but most of their life's been a good life, and yet we focus on the negative. You know what? Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Here's a couple reasons that God gives us for trials. Look, if you would please, at verse number 15. For all things are for whose sake? Your sake. They're for the sake of others. They benefit other people when we go through difficult times. That the abundant grace, that's grace is God's help, might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You know, when you have a problem, you know what it does? It humbles us. And when you have a problem that you can't solve, you have to say, oh, no, I need help. And you know what that caused you to do? Ask. Yeah. And you know what that does? That causes God to give his grace to the humble. And when we ask God for help, we humble ourselves. But what makes us pray is helplessness and faith. <laughs> and some of us, we don't pray because we, we, we got this. I do this all the time. We don't pray about stuff because we think we're, we got it. We do this. I mean, I do this with my eyes closed. But the truth matters. I need God all the time. But helplessness, I'll tell you when you pray, when your loved one's in the hospital in the ER tonight and they can't do a blooming thing about it, they don't know what the problem is. You, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Because now it crossed the threshold of your abilities. You got helpless real quick. I get helpless. We'll talk to God. And then we talk to him and we get humble. And then what does God do? He gives us his help. That's what grace is. It's God's supernatural help. Did you save yourself? No, for by grace. We're saved by grace. God's help. And he helps us. Then when he helps us, we're thankful. And we thank him. We give the thanks to him. Well, when you get help and you're a mess and someone helps you, oh, you're thankful. And then it brings glory to God. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're still breathing today is to bring good to others and give glory to God. Helping others and honoring God. If if you're not doing that and I'm not doing that in my life, I'm really wasting the breath God gave me. I'm supposed to give others a good opinion of a God that loves us and does so much for us. (laughs) See, we find there's a reason for trials. Trials have a reason. They humble us, and we ask God for help. He gives us His help, and then we become very grateful people. And then we bring glory to Him. Then I want you to notice real quickly the next thought real quickly. And, of course, we're just talking about how to handle problems, laboring together with God through problems. Trust God and verbalize your faith in Him. Focus on the person of Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners. Boy, if you say, Pastor, I'm having it so bad. Did you ever have it bad as Jesus had it? No, no, I don't think we can compare with that, right? I think we can make it. When you consider what Jesus, he did nothing but good and got nothing but bad. We do nothing but bad, get a few things bad, and we get mad. (laughs) Something's wrong with us. Got stinking thinking. Focus on Jesus. Focus on His purposes and His power. Focus on the purposes and the reasons so that we can get His grace and thanksgiving and glory to God. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. And I think we can see it real quickly in verse number 16. For this cause, for which cause we do what? We don't quit. For our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. You know, when you have problems, one thing you don't want to do is quit. The old, the old poet said, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the roads you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, huh? When care presses you down a bit. Sir, ma'am, rest if you must, but, but don't quit. Success may be failure when it seems like it's so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things go wrong, you mustn't quit. He said, for this cause, we faint not. We don't quit. Because problems and trouble can put pressure on the, internal, on the external, the outward man. But the inward man is renewed day by day. God's doing an inner work of grace. One thing all of us need is inner man strength? We need inner man strength to stay when we want to leave. We need inner man strength to study when we want to watch a football game. We need inner man strength to forgive when we want to hold the grudge. To give when we want to keep. Inner man strength to soul win. Inner man strength to disciple converts. You know, I think about listening to Brother Arbo's story, and I'm so glad Pastor Rice has having him do that. But you can hear the wonderful story about the 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 um, the the uh, nursing home. But how many years did he say he did that nursing home ministry? Twenty two years. When did they start giving him five hundred dollars a month? Year number fourteen with nothing on his own gas, his own dime, his own time, 14 years times 52 weeks, hundreds of times going to that nursing home, 48 funerals in one year, doing what he had to do. I think that's called inner man's strength, don't you think? Let's keep going. Well, sometimes all we can do is put one step in front of the other and keep going on. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. And then he goes on to say that really all of our trials are temporary trials. Amen. The doctor said I got cancer. If you're saved, it's temporary. Not to belittle that, but the truth of the matter is, uh, it's temporary. Every problem you have as a child of God is God's temporary problem. Because one day God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more night, no more sorrow. No more death. No more dying. Everything. He goes on in verse 17. Look at it with me. We'll conclude. For our light affliction was but for a what? Yeah. Just a short time. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not to things which are seen. But the things which are not seen. Which are temporal. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Dear friend, how we handle our problems has eternal impact and dividends. Impact on others and dividends for you. The Bible says, Blessed is a man that endures temptation or trials, because when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord giveth to everyone who loves him. Listen, God never wastes problems. He never wastes trials. He never wastes an attack. Look, look it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Satan who thought about Job. That was, that was done by God. He said, you know, I think, I think Job can handle it. I'll help him. Have you considered my servant Job? I don't know about you, but when you have a problem, one thing you might want to think sometimes, you know, God entrusted me with this problem. He thinks I can do it. He, he's going to do it. And all this Job sin not, sin not nor charge God how? Like an idiot. No, he, did, he didn't do that. He, didn't, he, 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 he exercised wisdom. Faith in God. And we're still talking about Job. And if you don't know your Bible, Job. <laughs> we're still talking about him. For all that God used him to do. And when you have a bad day, you can say, well, it's not as bad as Job. He trusted the Lord. God used him. And he has an eternal impact on our own life today, many hundreds and years later. Hey, it's trouble been your constant companion. Believe God and tell him, I trust you, Lord. I don't understand. I got more questions than answers, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take my care and make it prayer. I'm going to cast all my care upon you. Know you'll help me. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to trust your providence and your presence and and your purposes and your power. I'm going to ask you for help. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on doing what God wants me to do because my problems are temporary and they have an eternal impact. Let's pray together. Could you stand with me? If God has spoken to you, and what a great meeting, what a great camaraderie of sweet friends that uh, wow. gather together, and thank you for your heart for the Lord, and your heart for the gospel, your partnership, your encouragement with one another, and I just love it. I have really enjoyed being with you. Thank you for every part of the service, the music, the singing, uh, the, uh, the uh, testimonies, and the love. That you have, it's really a wonderful blessing to be with you. And thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to be an extension of your heart in this uh, meeting for your country of Canada. And uh, Linda and I have enjoyed being with you tremendously. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter one. And I, I, uh, I just uh, I hate to to go much farther in the Bible than just Genesis one, and so. <laughs> I was talking to Brother Arbo today, and it was really, a, I, was, I, I was asking the Lord to give me help and know what to, to speak on. Before I came, uh, Pastor was, he sent me a text, would you give us the titles for each of your messages? And, and the Lord pressed in my heart this passage of scripture, but uh, I thought, you know, maybe not. Maybe that's not what the Lord wants. And, and then when I heard Brother Arbo preach today, I thought, well, that's wonderful. He's going to cover that, and that's why I wasn't supposed to do that last night. And uh, then I I felt like as I was sitting there listening to him and being so blessed by the message that he shared this afternoon, I thought to myself, I think uh, the Lord may want me to continue on that line. And I asked him what he's preaching tomorrow and something totally different. And so I I feel like that uh, God wants us to start here tonight, laboring together with our creator. And uh, tonight, I don't know. I don't know how inspirational it will be. I hope it will be educational. I hope that God will use it to bring uh, provocation to our hearts and our lives as we consider how God created the world and then how he is working in us and the people that are in our world today around us. And uh, this is something I remember years ago sitting in a Christian school classroom, Bible class, and I had a guest speaker come in and he went through the days of creation And made some applications, and when I heard him say that, I said, you know what? There's some really, some great analogies there. And so I want to share them with you tonight. They're not original with me. I'm sure many people have got them. Maybe some of you might know this. But it's a beautiful thing how God made the world and that how God makes us. And uh, so I want to make that analogy, if I can, this evening. I appreciate uh, everybody that's here. I appreciate the folks at Cornerstone being willing to sit back here. And Brother mod. he normally is not in the choir for obvious reasons. and uh, But uh, he's up there tonight faking it up there, and that's really great. And uh, we, we're making sure there's no microphone on that side of the choir. And, and, and his wife's not here to stop him, so it works out really good. So... That's good. So it's already a, text <laughs> she, she already texted me. She already you. What are you doing in the choir? Get out of the choir. All right. Let's stand together, would you please, and let's look at Genesis chapter number one. Can we please? Genesis chapter number one. Brother Arbo, thank you for your testimonies. I think I could hear you talk all night long and and uh, then uh, just rejoice at what God uh, has done through you. and. Then Brother Harness is right down here. He too has been doing the right thing for the right reason uh, for a long time. And we're so thankful for his testimony and many others of you uh, who have been serving the Lord in in this region. We thank God for each of you and appreciate you very much. Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 1 and 2. Let's read it together, can we please? In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon, upon the face of the water, and God said, Let there be light, and there was a light. And God saw the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and even the morning were the first day. Let's continue, let's continue reading there, 6, 7, and 8, can we please? And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters,
2: let it divide the
1: God made the firmament and and divided the waters waters, which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning
2: were the second day. In
1: verse number 9, God talks about what He did on the third day. Verse 14, He talks about what He did on the fourth day. And then He goes on in verse number 20 and talks about what He did on the fifth day. On the sixth day... And verse 24, if you'll look there, please, if you would. The Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creature after his kind, and cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the field after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now verse 26, would you read it with me? And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, You be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and everything that moveth upon the earth. At the conclusion, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the even the morning were the sixth day, verse number 1 of chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day he ended his work. Which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it because it it uh, because in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Our heavenly Father, thank you for the joy of being here with your people. It's amazing, Lord. We can leave our house at 41 Glendale Park in Hammond, Indiana, and then come here meet strangers for a few moments, and really become friends for a lifetime. And just a few moments, we just feel a camaraderie because of your great Holy Spirit. Thank you that you moved on the face of our dark planet, and then then you moved on our, our soul and helped us. Lord, would you please work in a special way and use this message to be helpful. Show publicly what you showed me privately, and then I pray your spirit would appear both sides of this pulpit and we need you we thank you lord for the privilege of opportunity and i imagine lord if if we learn what you want us to learn the souls and men and women boys and girls millions of them could be impacted and i pray you please help us in jesus name amen thank you very much you may be seated Pastor Arbo did a great job this afternoon explaining this to us, and uh, it was for the men in the room, so the ladies did not get to hear it. But what, is, what the crux of it was is that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. But in its original state, it was empty, it was dark, and it was without shape or form. It was worthless, it was dark, and, and uh, it, it was void or empty. But then two things happened. God's spirit began to move on that blob of water that God had made on day number one. And God's spirit began to move. Number two, God's word spoke. And God turned the light on on a dark planet. And uh, that's what God did on day number one. And, And that's all he did. He just said, let there be light. And the light came on, and the evening and the morning were the first day. That's all that happened. God, on the second day, took some of the water that was on that blob that was shapeless, without form, and He put some of the waters in the heavens, and He kept some of the waters on the earth. And, and He created firmament. We don't use the word firmament too much today, but it, He created space, distance. Between the world that we would live on and the world that he lives on. And he said, let us divide or separate the waters from the waters. And the even the morning were the second day. Day number one, he said, let there be light. Day number two, let us divide the waters from the waters. And creates firmament, distance between the heavens where God lives and the earth where we would live. And that's all that he did on day number two. On day number three, the Bible says that God put all the water in one place and he put the dry land on the other place. And on the dry land, he caused all the vegetation to, to develop and to be created it. He created the bananas and the apples and the raspberries and the 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 blueberries and and the kiwis or whatever else there is and the flowers and the apple trees and whatever plant that you might enjoy eating, the squash or the corn, that was all created on day number three. And it's very important that God said now, in every plant I create, I want to take a seed and put it in that plant so that plant can reproduce after its own kind. So he made all the vegetation, things that grow on this planet, and he put it all in the dry land, and then he put a seed inside of each of those so that plant could reproduce. And if you want to have an apple tree, you'll need to find an apple seed. Out of an apple, put it in the ground and wait, water and wait, and you're going to have an apple. If you want a corn, you might want to take a corn kernel, put it in the ground, and it's going to produce hundreds of other kernels of corn. That's what God did on day number three. Day number one, he said, let there be light. Day number two, let's divide the waters from the waters and create space or distance or firmament. Day number three, let's make the dry ground appear and let's put a seed inside of every plant so that it can reproduce after its kind. And that's all that God said. The evening in the morning were the third day. On day number four, God made uh, the sun to rule the day, the moon to light up the night, the reflection of the sun on the, on the other side of the world. And he made the stars also. And they're there primarily to service our planet. They give us direction. If you're lost, you can you know where the sun is. You know it comes up in the east and it goes down in the west. Well, you guys in Canada are smart, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he said, you know, it, it gives you direction. It gives warmth to the planet. It uh, provides it provides some warmth. It's for times and for seasons. It sets the tides on the ocean with the moon. It's services. It's those that sun is just for earth. And the moon is just for earth. And the stars also. And God gave them for this for this world. That they, they were their 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 service items to minister to the world that we live on. And that's what God did on day number four. Day number one, he said, let there be. Day number two, let's divide the waters from the waters and create firmament. day number three, we'll make, we'll make vegetation and make sure there's a seed in every one so it can keep going. It can reproduce after. Day number four, let's make the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night, we'll make the stars also. And then that's all, the evening and morning were the fourth day. Day number five, the Bible says that God made the fish that would swim in the, in the water and the birds that would fly in the heavens. See, at day number one, two, and three, he made a habitat. In days number four, five, and six, he began to feel the habitat. So he said, let's, let's, uh, we'll, fill the, we'll fill the water with fish and all kinds of aquatic animals, and then we'll fill the air with all kinds of birds. The two things that human beings cannot do. I actually flew here from Chicago, but not on these arms. (laughs) I had to have help, like a 737. I'd have a plane. I can't fly. You can't fly. Uh, We can't live underwater unless you had a submarine. You could. You can live underwater for a year, too. Uh, It's unbelievable, all the things that, that can happen there. But if you have help, you can live underwater, but not by yourself. But well, it's interesting, day number five, God gave a whole day to fill the, the water and the world, the sky with birds and the, and the water with, with aquatic uh, beings. Two things humans can't do, but that's what God did on day number five. Then day number six, the Bible says that God made all the animals, every creeping thing, every cattle, every, every grasshopper, uh, all the, the reptiles, all those things. He made those on day number six. And in verse number 26, the Bible says he stops and says, now, now that that's made, let us, plural, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in, plural, our image, and in our likeness. And then let's give him dominion over the works of everything I made. He can have dominion over that, and he'll subdue it, and use it, and manage it, and steward it. And we'll do that. And he made them male and female. And of course, you're not an animal. You 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 are a trichotomy, not a dichotomy. And you're not you're no kin to the monkey, and the monkey's no kin to you. Uh, the animal kingdom it, it has. Uh, you know, they have, animals have a body and they have a soul or a, a personality, a way they think and the way they feel and the, and the things they desire. Dog, if you have two dogs, you know, one's a little bit temperamental and snippy and the other one is you can pull his ears, pull his tail. <laughs> you know, he, just, he doesn't do anything. Some of them are hyperactive and they just, they just can't, you know, they've got different things. Someone, they like Alpo dog food and someone else likes another kind. They, they're, they're, they're finicky. They've got different personalities. You know, if you've had two horses, you know that you know horses are different. Or cats, or whatever. You've got one that's all lazy, and the other one's all, you know, up and around, aggravating and spooky. You know, they're just different. But there are no, you know, cat prayer meetings, and, and there are no dog churches, and there's no monkey pastors. A few pastors look like monkeys, but none, none of them. Act like monkeys, but there's no there's no they have no aptitude for worship because they are missing that third part. What is it? Spirit. I got it, though, and you got it. God made us in his image. We're very different. And he says, now, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. And he does because God is one God and you're one person. But when I look at you, I recognize you in your body. You recognize me in my body, but you don't see my soul. And you don't see God the Father. John 1 says, no man has seen the the Father at any time. So you don't see the soul of God. You don't see the Spirit of God. The wind bloweth where it listens, thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh, whether so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit's not visible. But if you want to know what God looks like, He is in the image of His Son. Yeah, His Son. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. And other Colossians 1 tells us that. But we have his his form in Jesus. And and, uh, that's that's how we're made. And then God said, it's very good. He saw everything he made and he liked it. He made Adam and Eve and he said, oh, it's very good. This is good. This is what I want. I made everything and I've I've made man and woman. And now day number seven. The Lord tells us in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse number 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, that God rested from all he had made. His brother Arbo said and he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he knew that you would need a day of rest and worship and reflection and, and gratitude and, and appreciation. And God gave us that day as a pattern for our lives. Well, I, I see that that's the day's creation, and, and evolution is—it's a, a fairy tale. With millions and millions of years, it's magic wand. <laughs> just say millions and millions, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's how it happened." You know? No, you know, it's just—it's—it's—you have to—you have to have a lot of faith to believe in evolution, and instead of just saying God created. But it's amazing that that is where Satan knows to attack. Little kindergartners in the public education system, one of the first things they read, their teacher reads to them, millions and millions of years, and they show them about dinosaurs and Barney. <laughs> you know, of all the things you could, you could show a child, they want to talk about something that supposedly happened millions and millions of years ago. You go to the, the beautiful Grand Canyon. You stand on the realm, and it says right there, this canyon... Was carved out of the Colorado uh, River over 12 million years. Doesn't say according to the theory of evolution. Just said this is how it happened. It's not true. Not true. It's not. It's not proven. It's just propaganda. But when someone doesn't want to recognize God, they'll believe anything. And that's really kind of where we are right now. And, boy, you want to get the devil mad, just start talking about creation. Start propagating that. That will get all kinds of excitement. It'll come. Because that, that is, that's the core. It, the answers are in Genesis. That, that's original with me. I'm not just joking. That's not original with me. But, you know, that's in, it, it is right there. But, but tonight, we understand. Let there be light. Divide the waters from the waters, grow things and put seeds and and the sun, moon, the stars and and the the, the aquatic life and the the, the birds that fly and and then man in his own image and then a day of rest. But, you know, I think there's a great comparison here that God makes with a human person, with people in your neighborhood, with you, with me, because we're all creatures of God. We all have been created by God. Now have you ever heard anyone say, "Well, no, we're all God's children. We know that's we're all God's children. That's not true. That's right. To be God's child, you have to be born to his family, okay? You have to have be born again." That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, "You must be born again," the John 3:16 story. But no, but we are are created by God. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. behold, all things become new. So God is at work in humans in a similar fashion that He's in work in His creation. And He even bothers to tell us that in the New Testament, that He's at work. In, and He said, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we're all a work in progress. Salvation is a miracle of a moment, but growth is a process of a lifetime. With that in mind, I want to share with you a couple things that, that I see the analogy here, and maybe you'll see it, or maybe you'd like to argue about it. If you want to argue with me about that, you meet me on the, on the sidewalk after church. And if I'm not there in five minutes, you start without me, all right? Because I'm not going to be there. I'm really not interested in arguing about it. I want to throw out some things to you that might be an encouragement. Number one, uh, God said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in its original form, it was empty, dark, and without form. And you know that's exactly how I was without Jesus. Empty, dark, and confused. Worthless. That's how people are without two things. Without the Spirit of God and without the Word of God. And this all dark dark planet, that's how I was before I got saved. That's how you were before you got saved. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you are still in darkness. You are empty. You have a God's spot that only He can fill. Amen. And you don't get it. You don't understand the, the purpose of life. It's still a little, a little fuzzy to you. Because to make that connection, you need to have the Spirit of God do His work of convincing you of your sin, of your need for the righteousness of Jesus and your judgment to come. And you need someone to give the Word of God to you. The Word of God must speak. And those are things that bring the light on into how many remember the day the light came on in your heart when you believed and received Jesus Christ. Because someone preached to you the Bible and the Spirit of God while they were talking on the outside, someone was doing some work on the inside. And that was the Holy Spirit of God saying, he's right, that's true, you're, in, you're on your way to hell, you need Jesus. And then day number one, the light came on. That's the day of salvation. I, I ask you again, how many remember when that happened to you? You remember when you exchanged your sin for God's son. When the word of God and the spirit of God collided in your heart and you said, oh man, I need Jesus. And you said yes to Jesus, and the light bulb came on. I love seeing people get saved. I'm not the greatest soul winner, and I love what Pastor said a moment ago. Just remind us we've got to stop just talking about it and go do it. And by the way, the gospel's not broken. Apostle Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the, I'm not the power of God, you're not the power of God, the church is not the power of God, songs are not the power of God. Preaching is not necessarily the power of God unless it's the, unless it's the gospel. But he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And it blows up in somebody's heart. I've, I've shared it with people. And I, by the way, I'll just say this. As a soul winning tip, when someone says, oh, I'm Muslim. Say, has anyone ever showed you the Bible's definition of the gospel? Oh, you never heard that? Could I show it to you? Oh, you don't have time today? When could you let me show that to you? I'll take it in about 20 minutes. And you can stop me if you want me to stop. Oh, I'm Jewish. Has anyone ever showed you the gospel? Has anyone just explained to you the gospel? Listen, I'm telling you, you get people to hear the gospel. I remember years ago, I had a man. who was bringing a, a lady to church because she was part of our Friday night addiction program. And she, she was doing the program, and she needed to attend a service. So he, she said, "Will you drive me to church. I, I've lost my license. i got to do any DWIs and all that stuff. Can you drive me? And so he started coming and sit in the back. Uh, his name was Owen, and i never forget this. Low Owen. I started talking to him. I enjoyed talking to him, and he said, uh, I've been a, I'm a retired school teacher. I said, you know, I taught school for because I could tell. I could tell by you, you preach. You, you're a school teacher. I, I like you. That's good. That's great. I said, are you a Christian? He goes, oh, no. I don't believe anything you guys say here. I'm just helping someone get a ride here. <laughs> I don't want Lori to get back on her alcohol, so I'm just bringing her to church. I said, well, I said, why don't you come and he, he came a few times. I got to know him. Went and saw him at his house. And I said, oh, and you know, could I just show you from the Bible? He goes, look, Pastor, once again, I'm, I'm, I believe you believe what you talk about. But, you know, nah, I'm good. He owned multiple houses. I think 11 houses in the Southern California area. He's a very wealthy guy. Done really well with real estate. And he, he had a lot of things to be proud about from a fan, financial standpoint. But I'll never forget he began to warm up a little bit. I said, look, would you give me? He goes, you know what, one day, one day. I remember one day I called him. Hey, Owen, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, doing good. So you're going out to spare tomorrow? He goes, no, I'm not doing it. I said, what are you doing tomorrow? He goes, nothing. I said, hey, could I get a little time with you, man? He said, all right. <laughs> what time? I said, 10 o'clock. He said, okay, I'll be there. And he showed up. I'll never forget, he came to the meeting. We decided there, and, and he walked in. He said, got, I got four things to tell you, John it's 10 o'clock right now, and I'm leaving at 11. I said, okay. He said, I did my undergraduate at Oregon State University. I did my graduate work on the canonization of the Bible. How did the 66 books get chosen out?" So this is going to be a long conversation, so uh, I don't think we're going to get very far, but, but you need to know that's my background. I said, I didn't know that. That's good, Owen. Thanks for letting me know that. He said, uh, he, said uh, uh, he goes, I, uh, I'm an agnostic. Now, there, there may be a God, but I'm not so sure who he is. And uh, he said, uh, number four, John, I really respect you. Said, I, don't know if that, I think it's more than you being a teacher. And I listen to you preach. I can tell you believe what you believe. And I can, always, I can even see it in you. So I can see you believe and you live it that way. And I respect you. If I want to hear from anybody, I want to hear from you. I said, okay, anything else? He goes, no, that's it. I said, okay, let's sit down here. And I'm not going to talk to you about the gun. I'm just going to shoot it at you. We're not going to argue about where we got the Bible. I'm just going to show you the Bible. Is that okay? He goes, that's fair. Amen, I so I'm in, I went through the Bible, and of course I added extra verses. Cause I knew I had an hour, right? <laughs> I thought I had 20 minutes, but now I'm getting 40 more minutes, so I'm just giving him different that's verses, right. making sure I read every verse on hell I could find. <laughs> I explained to him the gospel, and I went through it. And, and at the end, I said, well, you know, Owen... Uh, the Bible is just very clear, you know, to be saved, someone has to believe they're a sinner and their sins against God, and they can't go to heaven on their own, they have to believe that they deserve hell, to be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire, where God's not going, and if anyone goes there, they go there against their, God's will, and they'll be forever exiled from the Lord, and that Jesus loved us, and on the cross, he had everything to be done, so he could be saved when he died, and was buried, and rose again, and and if anyone would believe in the Lord, they could be saved. I said, Owen, thank you for letting me share that with you. I appreciate it. He said, John, John. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't leave me hanging. What do I got to do? What do I need to do? I said, what do you want to do? He goes, well, no one's ever explained that to me before. Yeah, well, I want to get saved. You know, just tell me what to do. I said, oh, I went through it all again one more time. I said, do you have any questions? He goes, no, no, I understand that. So you want, you want to ask, if Jesus will accept you and your sin, oh, and you want to accept Jesus? He said, absolutely. And at 1048, he got on his knees and asked the Lord to save him. When he got up, he said, I can't believe I just did that. He said, but I didn't know it. I didn't know all that stuff. He goes, if you would have told me I would have come in here and 48 minutes later I'd been getting saved, I would have just laughed you off your, foot, off your feet. I can't believe it. this is wonderful. And you know, I thought to myself, oh, the power of the gospel. It is the power of God. Amen. You know what that happened that day for Owen and what needs to happen for everybody? The light needs to come on. And the light comes on, the spirit of God's already moving on the face of their little soul. Or you probably wouldn't even be talking to them. He's already working in them. God's at work. They just need to hear the word of God so the light can come on. Day number one is a day of salvation. Day number two is a day of separation. God puts some distance between the world that he would have us live on and the world he lives on. And he would say things like this in his scripture he gives to us. Love not the... Neither the things that are in the... If any man love the... The love of the Father is not in him. Come out from among them and be ye, saith the the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He tells them, he says, listen, set your affections on things, not on things on the earth. He reminds them that you need to live a separated life. It's important. I didn't put myself in... I didn't save myself, but I'm so glad that when God saved me, he did so in a strong, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church like this one. And I'm glad, by God's grace, that I am uh, in this vein of Christianity. I'm not the only one going to heaven. Baptists are not the only people getting saved. But I'm just glad God put me in a place that told me I ought to live on the high road of holiness. And it's healthy. It's healthy. It's the pure way. It's the right way. It's the way that most pleases the Lord, in my opinion. You've got to have it right on the inside and right on the outside. And and it's the the high road of holiness. It's the day of separation. Proverbs tells us, through desire, a man having what? Separate himself. Seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Wisdom is God's way of doing things. Wisdom is God's perspective on things. If you're going to see God's perspective, there'll have to be a day of separation. You're going to have to see it His way. To see it His way, you're going to have to have glasses. You're going have to have. You're, you're driving your car with the without it being fogged up and iced over. So many Christians, because they're not willing to separate, it's like driving your vehicle when you have just a little bubble here and you're. <laughs> uh, well, I think there's. I don't see a car there. Well, you know what you're going to do. You have a wreck you got to get the windshield cleared up to see things God's way and, and cleanse his way. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking he thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the works of them that turn aside. They'll not cleave unto me. There has to be a day of separation. And day number one, he said, let there be light." Day of salvation. Day number two, a day of separation. Listen, friend, there are some things that God's people should not have on their phone. There are some things and social media platforms that shouldn't you should not be following. There is so much stupidity going on in a world today that really garbage in is garbage out. I cannot help but speak of the things which I have Seen and there are movies that you have no business as a child of God watching two seconds of, much less two hours of. You can tell by the title, you can tell by the by the ratings the world gives them. That you have no business. There are songs that you and I should not listen to. There are places we should not go. Oh, just because you're you're one of those fundies. No, because we're a God fearing bought, bought, blood-bought Christian. And because we're saved, there needs to be separation. Day number three, spiritual growth and soul winning. Grow at grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, after you're saved, there needs to be a separation. You have to decide, you know what? Um, I probably ought to be in church on Sunday night. I, I probably have to change my schedule a little bit, separate from things I used to do so I can, I can uh, be faithful to the Lord. Things have got to change. They can't stay the same. Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, they become new. And then you begin to grow. And you can't love flowers unless you hate weeds. You can't have a pure life and a growing, vibrant life. Every gardener understands you've got to do the weeding in order to have abundant growth. But then when you start growing, then God puts inside of you a desire to reproduce. He puts a seed inside of us so that other people will hear the gospel of Jesus. And, you know, we talk about things we love. That's why we sometimes don't talk about Jesus. But to know Him is to love Him. If you love fishing, you talk about fishing. You love cooking, you talk about cooking. You love your grandkids, you talk about your grandkids. Whatever you love, you can't help it. You talk about it. When we love Him and we grow to love Him, it's a growth process. That's why He says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we grow and we want other people to know Him too. And we talk about him, And then our life becomes reproductive. It's tragic that many people will be saved for decades. And then Sunday after Sunday, they sit in a church service that they've sit in for years. And there's no one there because of them. They may have ushered. They may have sang in the choir. They may have taught us Sundays. But they look around the auditorium and no one is there because of their personal soul winning and discipleship work. And I'm telling you something, you do that long enough, you know what you're going to lose? You'll lose joy. Because he that goes forth bearing precious seed as a soul winner will doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing people to the Lord. John the Beloved, who probably had no earthly children himself, he was probably never married. Celibate most of his life, if not all of his life, probably never married. But he says, my little children, oftentimes in his writing. Because they weren't his biological children. They were children that he had through sharing the gospel of Christ with other people. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, joy is very important. Apostle Paul says, I want to finish my course with joy. You know, one of the best things you can ever do is, win, is let God say, God, give me a growth that I can win and disciple others. And that will bring you great joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. It'll keep you going. See, Pastor, I'm just not real talented. No, no, it's not a methodology. It's a passion. Thank you. It's, a, it's not about your talent. Right. It's about your desire. You want to do it, you'll do it. God will help you. Because he's nobody more excited about getting the gospel to people than God is. It's his son, it's his commission, it's his power, uh, it's his provision, it's his provocation in your heart to do it. It's all God. And you're laboring together with him when you get the gospel to other people. Day number three is a day of spiritual growth and soul winning. Day number one, the day of salvation. Day number two is a day of salvation. By the way, you're never going to be able to leapfrog number two. I go back to that. You can't just go from salvation to spiritual growth and soul winning without a day of separation. Uh, it's interesting that in, in 2 Peter, the Bible tells us, in the Holy Spirit of God uh, inspired Peter. And he said, add to your faith, that's salvation, virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge. What's between faith and knowledge? Virtue, what's virtue? It's Purity. It's, it's separation. It's stepping away from things that are contaminating, so that you can grow. Every little mama that brings home a baby, early in their lives, you, you want to protect them from any kind of germs or any kind of a, a filthiness. You, you don't want them in that. You want to protect them, especially in those, in those early days. God wants us to do the same thing. Day number 4, the sun, moon and the stars, they service the planet. And I think this is a day of service. There needs to come time when you do something. There is no reward for well-done thou good and faithful spectator. Every saint ought to be a servant. Every member ought to be a minister. And you're not serving the planet, you're serving the local church. I mean, everybody needs to have something they do for the Lord. And and find something to do. You don't know, you can talk to your pastor and maybe not put him, bend him down and say, give me something to do today, but say, pastor, I want to be used of God. What needs to be done, you think I can do. And get involved and do that. But everybody ought to be doing something. And oftentimes in the church, it's like a, 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 a football game, a pro football game, or a college football game, or a, a, a hockey game. It's, it's, you know, it's thousands of people who need exercise and watching a couple guys who need a break. That sometimes happens. If that's happened in your church, I hope you're the guy that needs a break. But most everybody's glad to watch everybody do something. Instead of getting involved, you ought to ask yourself, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know what the sun does? It provides warmth to the planet. Well, if there's a visitor that walks in the back of your door, you ought to think you're a welcoming committee of one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go meet that person. Shake their hand. What's your name? Listen, I'm going to write that name down. I want to pray for you this week. I'm just so happy you're here. Thank you for coming to Cornerstone Baptist Church or whatever church you're from. Besides, you know, I'm going to bring warmth to this church. It's going to be a But better... I'm not going to sit, soaking sour. I want, I want to sit, soak, and serve. Find something I can do. I want others to have a good opinion of God's house and God's body of believers. Because a good Christian is going to bring warmth to his local church. Especially if they're saved, separated, spiritually growing, and care about souls. They'll want to, they'll want to serve in the local church. I, I think they'll want to give direction to other people. Like the sun gives direction. The moon, the north star, gives direction. Hey, you're, you're, after a while, you need to figure out, I got to take off my bib and put on my apron. I got to quit saying, just feed me more. And say, Lord, what can I do? Who can I help feed? I mean, after a while, man, I, it's time to grow up. And I just sit there and, blah, blah, blah. I just want to get fed. So I go to church, I just want to hear a good message. Listen, Spanky, you misunderstood something. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some is. But so much the more, what's that next word? Exhorting. Hey, listen, when you come to church, you ought to come with a spring in your step, a smile on your face, a note you have written, a good word you can speak. Something you can do to bring something to the table, not just go there to sit, soak, and sap everybody else's strength. No, you ought to come to exhort one another. It's one of the reasons we come to church. It's it's not just to hear another sermon, though God's going to give your pastor uh, messages and give you help. You're there to encourage somebody else. You see the single mom, good night in the morning, encourage that precious girl. You see the senior saint encourage her, encourage him. You see the little boy that comes to church. He doesn't have his mom, dad. I have a boy. He comes in. He he's a he's a he's a big boy for eleven years old. He's just a big boy. About as almost feel like he's tall as I am, but he's a chubby bunny, and and I and I love him. He gets up on me. And he said he he will come right up to me, into my space, and he said he's he wears a shirt and a tie and I lose a loser sport coat about the same one every service but man he comes from a place that no one else would want to be in that place and he wouldn't want to live with his mom he didn't have a choice but his mom is just she's not a bad person she just doesn't know what she's doing and he gets in that service and he feels loved and he knows everybody he he, i'm about ready to make him an assistant pastor he knows everybody and 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 he cares about things and Comes to church, and, and, and you know, I need, to, I need to say, you know what? I, I get to go home to a lot better home than that little boy. He didn't want to go home at the end of the night. He's the last one. People that drive him to church have to look for him sometimes. He's not outside the building. He's just trying to find somebody else to talk to him so he didn't have to go home. There's no fun going home. But you know what? I need to come with a heart to say, I want to be a blessing to Raphael. I want to be encouragement to him. That boy, that boy, he's a single saint. Sometimes a single. No one deserves more honor than those men and women who walk alone with the Lord. And they ought to hear something from you and me to say, God bless you. Hey, hey, get out of the house. Come on over here and let's have some ice cream or something. Now, you might have to, after a while, tell what they say to the drunks at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. (laughs) You got to go home, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got to go it's nighttime, you know, and I need to go to sleep, and, and I, I hope you've enjoyed it and had a good time. It's been real. It's been fun, but it had not been real fun at this point. Let's go. <laughs> you know, you got to go. But, you know, it might be a good idea to do something to encourage and strengthen another person. I think we ought to minister. That's a day of service. And then day number five, the fish that swim and the birds that fly. And I, I think that is really a, a, it's the supernatural grace of God. It's when God begins to help you do things that are outside your abilities. That only God could help you do it. You know, when you start serving God, that's when you'll realize how much you need God. If you get to day number four, you'll you'll say, you know what, I can't feel the bottom of the pool here. I need help. And God's going to reach down and give you gills for the deep waters of life. Or he might even quote to you Psalm, or Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their. They shall mount up with wings as. They shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Oh, listen, friend. You get in that day number five, and that's where you'll go through some times. And you'll get some satanic attention from time to time. And attack. You, you, you'll, you'll need the help of God. His supernatural grace to do whatever he is. We talked about Brother Connor and, and the thing that God has called he and his lovely wife to do. And I don't know about you, but when I saw their video and I heard them today, I thought to myself, Lord, I want to pray more so for them. Because they're doing something where they can't fill the bottom of the pool. And they're going to need God's supernatural help to sustain them. They're going to need the help of God. And that's all right. It's a good place to be he giveth more grace. Thy grace is sufficient. I'll glory in my infirmities. That's day number five. Some of you have been there. Where you're like, I can't believe this is where my life is and I am so in over my head. In over my head's under his feet and I think we can figure this out. I'm going to need your help. It's the supernatural grace of God. But I think day number six, while we're still living in this life, is God's ultimate goal for us. To be conformed unto the image of His Son. Let us make man in our image. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. After that wonderful verse, verse 28, where He says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, and being conformed to, to h- image of His Son. Ephesians chapter four talks about how that we, we we grow up into the stature of the fullness of Christ. Whenever now, not how we look, because we're men and women, a lady's not going to look like Jesus, but a lady can act like Jesus. I don't know how tall Jesus was, but he probably wasn't six foot four. But however tall he was, I'm not trying to look like Jesus. I'm trying to think like Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Christ Jesus. I want you to think like him. My goal for God's goal for me in this life is to make some progress. So that at the end I think like my Savior. I forgive like my Savior. I give like my Savior. I love like my Savior. I, I minister to others like my Savior. I care for people. What did the Savior do? He came to seek and to Save. that which was. If that's his passion, that'll be my passion. If he would spend time with 12 disciples, I probably can spend time with one. I could do that. If he if he loved in spite of rejection, I guess I could probably do that too. If he'll help me, this is what He wants for us in this lifetime to be conformed to the image of His Son. And then He wants an eternal Sabbath where He can rest and you can rest with your Creator and His creation. I'm looking forward to that. But, n- but it's not time yet. Now I need to be formed the image of His Son by experiencing His grace. By serving his local church with his power and his help. He put me there. I, I didn't put my, he put the sun there. He put the moon there. He put you there. You need to grow where you're planted. Be content with the place that God puts you and Be content with the pace that God has you in. Well, nothing more fu- frustrating than a, a discontented person. The Bible says that, that godliness with contentment. And boy, when someone's just frustrated. I don't like my job. I don't like this place. I'm tired of this. The snow is ridiculous. I want to go to Florida, you know. You know, I'm just not happy, man. I'm so happy. Listen, you know what contentment is? Contentment is understanding that God has given me everything I need for my present happiness. I got to want what I have, not what I don't have. And if you're not content where God places you now, you won't be content where you end up one day just because, because wherever you go Spanky, you, you got to take you. It's, it, you're going you're to just be the same discontented person. Just you never make you happy. Your cup's always going to be a half full. And some of you don't ensure if you have a cup. <laughs> we got to make sure that we keep that right. But remember, we are a creature in Christ Jesus, new creature, saved, separated, spiritually growing, soul conscious, serving experiencing the supernatural grace of God and being conformed to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, are you find yourself in there? Has some of you kind of stopped with just being saved? And separation is not something. You haven't put away anything for a long time. Every time the Spirit of God talks to you, you just rebuff him. I got that. I'm good there. That's when I was a kid. I can handle, this is adult viewing. That's a bunch of junk. you got to decide, you know, when, What? It, when's the last time you threw a song off your phone that you knew grieved the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you're watching something and you said, oh, God, I, this is, doesn't please you. Forgive me. I'm not going to watch this. The so last time you said, you know what, I, I I just need to go dark on my social media for a while. This is this is captivating way too much of my time and, and filling my mind with too many things. I'm not saying it's all wrong. I'm just saying that sometimes it becomes it becomes something that, that uh, is contaminating. Growing the Lord, winning the law, serving. Where are you at today? Isn't it wonderful that God, how he made the world, is making me, making you a process. Now also, may I say to you, we close, because most of you are mature Christians. This is God's work in the people you're working with. People that are dark, empty. Without purpose, they need the light turned on. They need the Spirit of God. He's working now. We've got to get the Word of God to them. How shall they hear? Let's have a preacher. Then we need to love them and help them and be patient with them. Help them grow. Help them serve. Help them find things to do. All of us need someone to help us. And watch them grow in grace. And do things and watch them become like Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? Father, thank you. For the word of God. Thank you for Brother Arbo and this wonderful truth.